Hello, and welcome to The Goldmine, where you can find new investment insights from your favorite financial writers every day. Every discussion I hear about inflation reminds me of the parable of the six blind men and the elephant. Having never encountered such a creature before, the sightless men learn about the pachyderm only by touching it. One man grabs the trunk, another the tail, the tusks, the ears, the legs, the sides. They argue over what the beast is, each describing it differently, each man's understanding incomplete, limited by his narrow personal experience. It feels like the debate over inflation is a similar experience. One's analysis and expectations about inflation can be too narrow. Very dependent upon the aspect of the CPI data you choose to focus on. It depends upon the priors you bring to those observations, and that affects what you see in these prices. This matters a great deal. Inflation is less than a simple binary question. Is the CPI rising or not? Rather, it's a host of factors that drive the components that make up the entire consumer price index. When we closely analyze these, we find a broad dispersion across various consumer goods and services. The nature of these inputs will determine, first, how much inflation there is, second, how long it's going to last, and third, what can be done to combat it. Let's consider four components that go into CPI, plus a few additional factors that are affecting consumption, and it'll give you a better sense of the complexities involved. Let's start with automobiles. The constraints of reopening chip fabs, that's what's used to produce semiconductors, create this long, slow process. Estimates are for as long as 24 to 36 months, which means that maybe we're only a third to halfway towards a sufficient supply of chips for new car production. This has led to a shortage not only of new cars, but a surge in used car prices. Hey, there are only so many used cars out there. It's had a substantial and disproportionate impact on them, and that's had a disproportionate impact on prices, especially how they contribute to the year-over-year growth in CPI. What about housing? The lack of new single-family homes has been in the making for over a decade. Existing home sales seem to have been impacted by the lockdowns, and as people have moved from apartments to houses, home expert Jonathan Miller of Miller Samuel notes, quote, sales volume exploded as the pandemic lockdowns ended. This was especially true amongst the upper half of homes, where salaries had risen and net worth rose. As more supply comes online and mortgage rates rise, we should see price increases begin to moderate. Let's talk about energy. There's a duality among energy sources. On the one hand, oil and natural gas prices have risen pretty substantially, so much so that electricity producers are turning to coal to fill the gap. Electricity producers are consuming more coal today than they have in years. On the other hand, gasoline prices have been flat for 13 years. They're just back to where they were around 2015. Of all the inputs we're discussing that go into rising prices, energy seems to have the fastest ability to respond to rising demand with more supply. Hey, every commodity trader knows this truism. The cure for high prices is high prices. Let's talk about wages. There are just so many cross-currents in the labor market. For our purposes, I want to draw your attention to three of them, minimum wage workers, high skill workers, and demographics. We've been discussing the minimum wage worker for a while. Relative to other metrics, they have been underpaid for decades. What happened during the pandemic was two things in particular. First, the CARES Act gave them some cash. 
which allowed them opportunities to improve their skill sets, gave them a little negotiating power. It's obvious to me that rising minimum wage is really more of a reset, a generational reset that was a long time coming. Second, demographics are partly to blame. Decreased immigration, lack of childcare, COVID deaths, early retirement, and even launches of new businesses, that's dramatically reduced both the number of people in the labor force and it's affected the composition of that labor force. Next, high skill workers. They've been in high demand, always have been, but the pandemic turned various local labor markets like New York, San Francisco, and Boston into national ones. Now you're not stuck recruiting from a commutable distance to your office. The entire country is your potential labor force. This is really disruptive, and the market is just beginning to adjust to it. Valuable employees have figured out they can earn a substantial raise, on average, about 19% just by switching employers. The great resignation, at least amongst the high-skill group, may be more of just a great job swap. Let's also talk about two other factors that are having an impact on the total inflation number. One is the balance between goods and services. We, we talked about this last year. Goods typically comprise about 39% of the economy. Services about 61% here in the U.S. But what happened during the pandemic is that balance got shifted. Goods consumption was up over 8%. Why is that? You're stuck at home. You're not you know, going out to dinner. You're not going out to the theater. You're cooking at home. You're buying televisions. You're doing things like that. That changed the dynamic between goods and, and services. And while services are more or less back to the inflation level they were pre-pandemic, let's call it between 2 and 3%, good prices are still rising at, at 8% annually. And so a lot of this is driven uh, by demand. The move towards goods and away from services, hey, it may be temporary, but it's still inflationary. Eventually, it'll revert back to pre-pandemic levels. For now, we're still dealing with this. The other factor of all this goods demand are logistics. Rebecca Patterson, she's the director of investment research at Bridgewater Associates. She observes that the, quote, biggest monetary stimulus outside of wartime is taking place today, plus the massive fiscal stimulus from the CARES Act has led to a new, quote, demand shock, and that's driving inflation. Globally, the production of goods is now 5% over the pre-pandemic levels we saw in 2019, but demand has risen 20%. That's what accounts for the gap and a big chunk of those rising goods prices. We have more ships on the seas than ever, but it isn't enough. Increased shipping containers and ports working 24-7 still haven't met the demand. So how do all five of these things play out over time? I think some of them are likely to be transitory. Of all the rising prices, energy tends to be the most responsive. Supply comes online, and you quickly see prices normalize. On the other hand, if you want to build a new house, it's going to take four to six months. That assumes you already have the financing, the regulatory approvals, and the land. To get an adequate supply of semiconductors for the automobile industry, if we're lucky, it's six months. Maybe it's as many as 24 months away. Wages have reset higher. I'm pretty confident that $15 is the new unofficial minimum wage, but the rate of increase is likely to moderate. In other words, I tend to doubt they'll be as robust as they have been over the past two years. That reads to me more like an overdue reset based on the lags that we've seen over the past few decades. What about the logistics? Well, if you want more ships on the ocean, it takes three years to build those giant container ships. And finally, that balance between goods and services, 
That'll be determined by how long it takes to get the pandemic under control. If you're not happy with goods inflation, well, part of that can be blamed on the anti-vaxxers. They're delaying the end of the pandemic and allowing us to turn COVID into an endemic, more like the flu. How much the prices of these goods and services respond to rising Federal Reserve rate increases? Hey, that's another question entirely. I'm very much in favor of the Fed normalizing rates, but I'm less sanguine that rate increases are the cure for what we describe above. Pricing in the global economy is dynamic. It's ever-changing. There are tons of cross-currents. Each responds to different inputs. Supply, demand, interest rates, fiscal stimulus, geopolitics, consumer sentiment, etc. This is the nature of a complex system. Investors should not engage in the gross oversimplification of thinking, hey, this one single variable matters, or even thinking uh, about inflation as a binary outcome. Instead, you need an awareness of the many factors affecting prices and how they might play out. That's a more rational approach. Is the worst of the U.S. inflation behind us? Maybe, but since we can't accurately predict the future, we should at least do our best to understand the present. That means doing more than focusing on any one single part of the elephant. For more from me, check out The Big Picture at Ritholtz.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today. Solid.